This episode of Let's Talk Period is brought to you by Howie Rollco and their new 100% sustainable and organic tampons. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for people who want all things real, raw and reputable where we smash taboos and break down stigmas. I'm your host Isabella Gosling and today's episode is with the incredibly strong Crystal, founder of Her With Endo on Instagram and an endometriosis, adenomyosis and mental health advocate. Crystal started her Instagram account back in 2018 after her endo and adeno diagnosis. For years, she wondered what was wrong with her body and she had to continually fight to receive answers and adequate care and treatment for her pain and symptoms. From there, she has cultivated a massive following for speaking openly and honestly about her experiences living with not only endo and adeno, but also managing her mental health as well, and also talks about life as a mum who is also chronically ill. Crystal shares her experiences online to help raise awareness and make change for others. In this chat, we talk on how Crystal knew something was wrong and her tumultuous journey to be diagnosed what it feels like to finally receive that diagnosis after being told nothing's wrong, the physical and mental impacts of undergoing over 60 surgical procedures in the last four years, and helpful tips for hospital stays, how a sacral nerve stimulator has assisted Crystal with both bladder and bowel control, and we also chat on what it's like being a mum when you're chronically ill, as well as the challenges that she faces regularly plus so much more. Now, here's Crystal. Crystal, welcome to Let's Talk Period. I am absolutely stoked to be chatting with you today and have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm actually so excited. Like, absolutely love this podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm a big fan of yours too. So we've got two fangirls chatting today. (laughs) I love it, girl power. Yeah, that's it. Now, because you are a fan, you'll probably know the first question that I ask each of the guests, and that is what have you done to nourish your body today? I'm actually doing it now. I'm doing the interview in bed, and I was like, you know what? I was going to go to the office, but I'm tired. I'm going to do it in bed. Yeah, that's like so, oh, goals, really. Yeah, yeah, that it is. So I'm doing it right now, actually. <laughs> I love it. You can nourish yourself and do the interview all at once. Yeah, got my heating pads, everything, and it's it's a win-win. Love it. Beautiful setup. Now, I know you just mentioned a heating pad, but we also <laughs> talk about a toolkit or um, a, a bundle of strategies, items, people, therapies, things that can help us to manage our health, whether we're living with a chronic condition or not. Uh, what is something that you would recommend that our listeners add to their toolkit to manage their health? 
heating pad. <laughs> I love absolute, I love heat therapy. Um, so every night I have a hot water bottle and a heating pad in bed with me. And then I have a spare heating pad if I really need to pull it out. Um, but I think my biggest advocate in my toolkit would be my GP. I've never come across somebody, it took me a long time to find her, but somebody who's so willing to advocate for me and talk for me to specialists and is so on it. Like she's just onto everything. I call her and she knows what's happening before I'm even calling her because she'll chase up test results. For me, that is the biggest blessing in my toolkit. And also my gyno, having such a good gynecologist has honestly been what has gotten me through this so far because without without a good GP and a good gyno, you're kind of just feeling like a fish out of water wondering who to talk to and who to get pain relief from. And everyone hates going to the doctor and going, well, can I have some opioids? Like I know you can't <laughs> see the pain. I'm in pain. You can't see it, but I, I do want some opioids and I need them. But so many doctors are like, why? And mm. it's like to have one that honestly she doesn't even question me. She's like, what, what do you need it today? And I'm like, thank God for you. Like that You're is what an I would. angel in disguise. She is an angel in disguise, honestly. And I couldn't be more grateful because before that it was like, a fight to get even one freaking panadine four to help with your pain and since I took codeine off over the counter I think it's become a lot harder for women to access pain relief Mm. so definitely a GP yeah oh finding a good GP is like finding gold and then you want to move with them when they move you just want to follow them around so you have them with you forever yeah, she's from the UK, so she goes back. I'm going <laughs> by Australia. Yeah, see, yeah, I'm moving to the UK. I need to follow my yeah. GP. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and a good Definitely. gyno as well, just as important. So they are such oh. great recommendations. Honestly, a gyno is the top one. It's it's so hard because you can want an answer so bad. And I know being in that position because I saw so many specialists before I found my gyno that you'll just go to anyone because you just want somebody to hear you. You just want to be heard. And I remember just constantly going to different gynos and then dismissing everything until I finally found my gyno who was, I didn't even have to say a word. I just started crying and she just knew that mm. she's like, you have endo. And it was for the first time ever being heard, which was nice it's so sad that like that's the standard of care that you're that we're like excited for like just someone who listens and knows and doesn't dismiss what you're going through like that should just be baseline care so it's so baffling that we're still you know upholding people who do that you know bare minimum service for us that actually do validate our concerns and feelings yeah I think Something really powerful that turned the tables for me was I was talking to my psychologist and she said, you realise that your specialists work for you, you don't work for them. Because we walk in there so scared to ask for things and ask questions. But we're technically employing them, we're paying them to do a service. And so when you have that knowledge that they work for you, you don't need to walk in there intimidated and go, oh, um, no, you walk in there and ask the questions, you tell them what you want mm-hmm. and that was something that really changed the way I approached my specialists was knowing that information, having that 
bit of power that we're the ones who are in charge. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that mindset is so powerful. So thank you for sharing that little tip and hopefully our listeners can take that on board and next time they go to an appointment, remember that you're employing them, you know, you choose who's in your team. So if you're not happy with the care you're receiving, you can go and find someone else and you don't need to be intimidated to ask questions. Yeah, definitely. Now, I'd love to chat all about periods, obviously. periods. <laughs> what was your experience like with your period when you were growing up? Like, was it relatively normal or what we thought was normal? When did you realise that something was wrong or, you know, what, that could you could be dealing with endo. I remember the day like yesterday I was in school. I was 11 and I was in school and I went to the toilet and I wiped and I saw like colour and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like I knew what it was but I still freaked out and I'm running mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm like, I need to call my mum. She's like, can we help you? I was like, no, I need to call my mum. And I rang my mum and I'm like, I'm bleeding. Can you come get me? She's like, it's okay, like start the school for a pad I had no idea what a pad was like I knew what period was but then I remember putting the pad on I didn't really have to peel the sticky bit off so I just had it sitting there like flopping around um moving around in your undies delightful yeah it it wasn't a vibe and it was from there that my mum actually realized something was wrong because I was getting periods every two weeks and losing a lot of blood and I was like bedridden at age 11 to like onwards with periods and she took me to a gyno who's just like put me on the pill from 11 yeah so I was on the pill and from 11 till about 21 so about 10 solid years I was on the pill and I would have breaks from the pill so I'd take a little break get a withdrawal bleed and then take it again, thinking like that was the right thing to do. And it wasn't until I came off the pill completely that I woke up, literally like woke up one day in pain and it's never gone away since. And literally it was the 14th of April in 2016. I remember waking up and going to hospital because I thought my appendix was rupturing. And that began the journey to getting a diagnosis. But definitely growing up, I knew my periods weren't normal because I was bleeding through everything and so sick and my friends were just fine and I was like what is wrong with me like why my period's so horrendous but there's a fine and even now like I have friends that say like I don't even know where my period comes I'm like oh how delightful that would be a dream wouldn't it I know it's so frustrating something so natural is so freaking painful Mm. like it just yeah it's not a vibe not at all. Oh, so 2016, you went to emergency thinking your appendix had ruptured, but it obviously hadn't. What yeah. what happened next? Like talk us through that time and where did you go through where did you go to from there? What was that like? So that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever gotten through mentally, I would say more than physically. I went in and the doctor's like, yeah, we're just going to take your appendix out. And they kept me in for three days. They kept, because it was a public hospital. I didn't have private insurance at the time. They kept starving me till the next day. Like, you're in theatre next day. You're in theatre next day. 
and it would come to like 11.59 at night. You're not going to theatre tonight. Quickly eat a sandwich because you're fasting in one minute. And mentally that started. By day four, I was like ready to walk out and have a nervous breakdown. Um, Finally, they got me into theatre and they took out my appendix. And I got back to the room and I was like, oh, mum did like, they got the appendix out and everything. And they came to my mum and they're like, her, her pelvis was full of blood. So we just cleaned that out as well but she should be fine. No more further investigation was done on their behalf and nothing got better. The pain just kept getting worse and worse. And I remember I fell into a state of pure depression, anxiety, where I couldn't even leave a chair for three months. I literally was in my lounge room and my mum would like bring me food because I couldn't eat. I dropped weight like crazy because Everything I was eating was going through me. I was losing blood clots constantly. I was in agony and I was being told it was normal. So it was like this feeling that you're going insane. And it just was so hard doing going through that. And I went back to the doctor and my husband, as my witness, I said to the doctor, like, my pain is not getting better. And he's like, oh, look, I'll be honest with you. We didn't need to take out the appendix. It looked fine. But yeah, we should probably look into the pain in the pelvis. I, on, I've never wanted to pick up a chair and, like, smack it over somebody's head in my entire life as much as I wanted to then because I was like, this is medical negligence. Like, you're just, you're ignoring me. And that began a journey of it took a year and 31 different specialists, and I'm not meaning gynecologists. It was four private gynos mm-hmm. in that. It was gastroenterologists, urologists, psychiatrists that told me it was just anxiety. I need to go into, like, a rehab and, like, be medicated um, because anxiety can cause pain. And psychologists that literally a guy psychologist that was like, are you sure, like, have you ever wondered if the pain is in your head? And I was like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> oh, sorry, I don't know if I can swear. You can definitely uh, swear. It's a swearing <laughs> space. <laughs> I was so mad. And I remember taking my endo photos after my lap to him and being like, see, like, it was there. But it was. No, it wasn't just in my head. No, but he kept making me feel like that. And it was, it really took a toll on me mentally because you question the sanity. You question, like, is this actually in my head, this disease, am I just going crazy? And it wasn't until I literally had given up at this point. I was 30 kilos lighter than I'm now. I was so sick. I was literally fading away to a shadow because it was on my rectum and everything and it was affecting the way that I was going to the toilet. And at this point I'd seen a kooky naturopath who I I could have stories for days on this naturopath. <laughs> she is a nutcase. But she had me on this diet that was like, 800 calories a day and I was literally dying but I was like it's gonna make me better like it's gonna make me better well I think Um, you get to that point where you think look I'm gonna try anything to feel better because mm -hmm. what I'm going through at the moment is horrific and I will do anything to feel better than the way I'm feeling right now a hundred percent and I'd given up and I remember just looking up gynecologist endometriosis on my phone one night on the balcony because I was living in a unit at this point. And I said to my husband, I was like, look at all these gynos and just pick one, just point to somebody. I'm just going to book an appointment with that person and that's who I'll go see. And it was different to who I chose. So he chose who I see now. And when I went and saw her, I was 
literally just sat down. And to this day, I'll always remember her writing back to my GP and said that her mom stated in the consultation that Crystal is surviving, not living. And that's something that's really stuck with me. And we had like I had to pay for this all out of pocket, so I got a loan out. And within three days, I was in theatre, and it was everywhere. She's like she could not comprehend how they missed it when they took out my appendix. And from that, even she had to print out the pathology confirming endometriosis because it happened so quickly. She's like, you've got endo, here's the pathology, here's the pictures. And I still didn't believe it. Mm. I was like, no, it's not. It's not endo. Like I couldn't. And I still today I think kind of struggle to comprehend a habit. And I think we all wake up in this horrendous pain and want to rest but we're like oh no it's it's fine like it's not even that bad like we can't be sulking about it we're just gonna get up and go 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 and it's hard you kind of trick yourself almost into believing like no no it's not um I'm fine like there actually isn't anything wrong yeah 100 percent the kind's like it's it's a mind fuck that's what it is yeah definitely oh and like I guess having that diagnosis is so validating but also incredibly bittersweet at the same time yeah definitely and I like a lot of people thought first surgery clean everything was cleaned out like I saw the photos there was no endo left anywhere she did a beautiful job cleaning it out and the next day, year, I was back in and it grew back to stage two. And she ended up, and then the next year, it grew back again. And then my lap two weeks ago was at stage four. And she was saying, like, I mean, she does so many gyno um, endosurgeries a week, and she's only got a few patients that have it this aggressive where it grows back so fast. But uh, it, I, it's an awful disease. And it really is. Yeah, getting a diagnosis, I think, is the hardest thing for everyone because you've got to fight while you're being told there's nothing there. Yeah, and having that strength and stamina to continue advocating and fighting for yourself when you're so tired and in pain can be incredibly exhausting. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Why do you think there is still so many misconceptions, so much stigma and shame and just, I don't know, fear around endometriosis and similar conditions, even in 2021? Honestly, don't know. And I read somewhere that endo is a people's disease, not just a woman's disease. But I do remember reading a quote. If, endo, if men had endo, there'd be a cure. And I so believe that because there's so many statistics about in emergency rooms, if men present with pelvic pain and women present with abdominal pain. They're given medication a lot quicker than we are. And there's just a stigma, I think, around men, men doctors. I've struggled so much with emergency doctors that are males understanding that I'm in pain from my period and they're like but why are you here and I'm like because of my period and I remember one doc just not not comprehending it and I just looked at my husband I said how are we how is he a doctor freshly graduated who has no 
like understanding of endometriosis, no understanding of adenomyosis and the pain it's causing me. And it wasn't until my gyno had to actually physically come down and say, look, she needs actual pain relief. You can't just treat this like it's a period. And I actually wrote a huge letter because I was like, how in 2020 am I in a private hospital with a doctor who has no idea what he's dealing with and is refusing to treat it? And I just, I think as well, women and everyone who menstruates are very embarrassed to come forward. And it's painted, now it's starting to be painted as something beautiful, but for so long it was, you don't ever talk about when you're like menstruating. You you don't let your husband or your partner see your pads or your tampons or if you bleed through your underwear, you quickly hide them and put them in the wash then I think now, 2021, we're finally starting to accept that it's blood from something natural. It's not from anything bad. Hopefully, that will continue on and generations to come and eventually there'll be no stigma and it will just be like, oh, that's beautiful, you're menstruating. But at the moment, I think we're still stuck in the middle part of some people think it's disgusting and some don't. Like I even see videos online where girls do pranks on their partners and they've menstruated and they do a prank and the partner's so disgusted. And I'm like, but why? Mm. Like I'm very lucky that my husband, like if there's blood anywhere, he'll clean it up. If I leave my underwear somewhere, he'll go and put them in the wash. Like I don't have to worry about that. And not one part of it disgusts him, but there's so many people out there who are just mm. so offended by the thought, by the image. And I think it was was it Libra that put that ad or you by you by Cotex that put the ad out. Yeah, Libra, it, they use the um real blood on TV and like blood normal yeah. and it was got got so much backlash. Yeah. I know. I, I couldn't comprehend and mothers saying like, how dare my child see this? How that's great your child's seeing it. Like you're educating them. Like tell them what that is. Like if we're going to put ads on for other adult things, what is wrong with something that literally can affect girls from the age of nine? Like let just let the ads be. Mm. The, the Karens need to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. Oh. Because it's, I thought that ad was great and I definitely think there should be more. Mm, I think continually opening the conversation and, you know, normalising those things on TV because, you know, it's the only blood or one of the only bloods that occur naturally that's not from violence or injury or anything. Yeah. So I'm not, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm not sure why so many people are still so outraged and disgusted and it's so frustrating still. Yeah. Mm. Hopefully they change it. Hopefully we all change it. Yeah. Well, you're working towards that, which is something you should be so proud of. Likewise. <laughs> now, you have undergone over 60 surgical procedures in the last four years for endometriosis mm-hmm. alone and chronic conditions. Can you share with us just what this period of time has been like for you and the impact it has had both physically and mentally. I know you've touched briefly on the mental strain it's had pre-diagnosis, but just what 
this last four year period's been like for you? Hard. <laughs> Very hard. I actually, like at 12 o'clock today, have my 63rd surgery procedure. Um, it blows my mind how many procedures I've had, but how many are more to come still. It's, I spend more days in hospital than at home at the moment, and it breaks my heart because I'm a mum and my child prefers his grandma over me at the moment because I'm not with him. I've just come out of hospital from being in there 10 days. Um, and the mental toll, and I think a lot of people will know that mental toll when you're sitting in hospital by yourself and this anxiety that just fills your chest and you're like, I need to get out of here. And every single time I walk into the hospital, I smell, as soon as I smell the hospital, I start getting anxious. And it's because I know the body remembers. And if I'm in the street somewhere or anywhere in smell domestos or cleaner, I start getting really anxious because I've been in hospital so much where there's the smell of bleach. My body associates it with something bad because it's, been constantly bad constantly having surgeries and the hard part is as well with the surgery so many of them don't work like these nerve ablations that I get done it's so hit and miss there's so many nerves that we try and hit to try and stop the pain and most of the time it doesn't work and that's why I've had so many and I've got so many to come because I can't even have my son really sit on my stomach without really crying because I'm so overactive in my nerve endings around there but it's 62 surgeries, man, that's a lot. <laughs> I just I have to sit back and think about it. I'm like, wow. Like my, I know the theatre I'm going to be in every time. I know every single person on the staff there. And it's weird. Three old surgeries, they've become family. And I know what to expect when I go to the hospital and that is a very calming experience but it still doesn't stop the trauma I've had from all the surgeries and all the times where things have gone wrong where I've had huge drug reactions when I've been given medications I'm allergic to when I've been not given medication because the nurse didn't believe my pain when the nurses are rude literally the other day I was in hospital my lap wounds opened like you could literally fit a pinky in how big they'd opened and they're infected and this nurse was just trying to get me out of the hospital because they were trying to get the ward somebody up to the ward and I literally blatantly said to her you're making me very uncomfortable because you're trying to make me leave I'm not going until my gyno has seen these wounds um mm. and even that like they don't realize you work so hard to with a psychologist to advocate for yourself, for them to only tear it down within a matter of seconds and invalidate you. And I think that's the biggest trauma from it is the surgeries themselves don't scare me. Like general anesthetic, you get a great nap. Love it. <laughs> Finally get some sleep. But surgery, I, I don't get nervous of surgery at all. What I get nervous about is the care, is the understanding, is the empathy and the compassion and who am I going to wake up to in recovery? Are they going to be nice? Are they going to be like, just harden up, you'll be fine, come on, you'll go up to the ward? Are they going to be able to control my pain? How much understanding do they have about my pain? And I even, I've printed off a placard actually, and it has my diagnosis 
all my surgeries, what I take every single day for pain and a little spiel about like my chronic illness. And every single time I go into hospital, I give it to a new nurse before they even have a second to make a judgment on me. I give it to them. And I'm like, this is what I want you to pass on to the nurse in recovery. And I want them to have an understanding of what, why I'm going to be waking up in pain and someone else might not. This um, is a snapshot so, of me and what I'm living with daily. Yeah, yeah. And so many nurses thank me because they go, you don't look like you've been through that much. And it's like, well, thank you. Like, <laughs> I'll take that. But also, but also, that doesn't yeah. mean, <laughs> it's like, that doesn't mean I'm okay. Like, there's no part in that that means I'm okay. Um, and I've been very lucky. Most of the surgeries have been with around the same five to six doctors. So I've been very lucky to have teams that, are very well aware of my pain and my situation but it is very scary like I have to have a special scope down into my gallbladder done a couple of weeks ago and I had a new doctor who had the empathy of a rock and the freaking emotional capacity of a wall like Mm. he's like it's fine I'm like okay well then why are all the scans saying it's not Mm, like don't just say it's fine and walk away that doesn't assure me I need to know why it's fine and why the scans say this and you're saying that and it's I think sometimes it's hard when the doctors don't have that don't give me that time it's just a bit of time it's like give us a bit of time to explain to us what you're doing why you're doing it because if I didn't do that before theatre like I when I had my lap a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, who's holding my hand while I go to sleep? Because I know my whole team. Mm. And it was a new nurse that I didn't know. And I was like, well, you're holding my hand. Like, you don't get a choice in the matter. Your hand holder, <laughs> and, that's uh, your job. <laughs> yeah. And it's now to a point when I go in with my gyno, I go in nearly every six weeks at the moment for pelvic floor Botox and, like, clean outs to try and help with the bleeding. And I walk in, everyone's like, hey, Crystal, when I'm wheeled into theatre. And I'm like, oh, this is just becoming all too familiar. Like, it's like a second home. But uh, what gets me through is being with the doctors I know. I request a specific ward where I know nearly every nurse and they know my history. So I always request to go to that ward because I can't handle when I... I go to a ward and they don't take me seriously. I will, I literally will just dis- self-discharge and go home because I can manage my pain better at home with medication than they will there. But it's been so taxing on my body. Like mm. I don't even know how I'm still walking, to be honest. It's exhausting. And I remember if I followed my naturopath's advice, that cooking one, when she found out I was getting laparoscopy, she literally brought a patient in to tell me about how anesthetic nearly killed her and was like, you can't go into anesthetic, like you'll die. And I was like, well, 62 wins, still not dead. <laughs> You're still up. Like, <laughs> still I up. think that care is so important and, you know, I know health professionals are so busy, but taking just that little bit of extra time to explain things and put um, our, you know, patients at ease, put us at ease and 
help us to, you know, have that understanding and feel that little bit more relaxed and relaxed and at ease just makes all the difference. 100%. It's, and I remember talking to my gyno and when I was pregnant, I was in hospital for 13 weeks before birth because I kept going into preterm, like I had a really irritable uterus and it kept just the pain and the uterus would go cranky. And she'd come in every day and I literally said to her, like, this is almost the highlight of my day is seeing you. And she's like, she's like, she knows that. And she knows that for somebody to get through endo and heal and everything, you need to put the time and care and effort in. And she's so gentle. I think you've interviewed her, Tina Fleming. She's, she's beautiful. Mm. She's the most caring and beautiful person I've ever come across and I've never been so grateful to have her as a gynecologist because she just, she will go above and beyond. She is pretty like Fort Knox. If you ring her office to get in contact with her, it's pretty hard. They're like, guard her like a little princess, but it's, (laughs) I normally can get a message to her, but um, it's times like that. You're like, oh, I wish I had the one's speed dial. Cause you're like, "Um, I need to come in for pain management, but yeah, it's, having people that care and even the surgeon I have today who's my pain specialist he'll come out he'll see me before surgery during the obviously during surgery no he's not going to be in the other room or he's tapping <laughs> door from the other room yeah. um and then he comes out while you're in recovery and then he comes out while you're outside waiting to go home because he needs to make sure that you're okay mm. and it's that level of care that has gotten through me through most of these surgeries and is the reason I'm okay to go in today, even though I'm full of anxiety and dread because I just hate hospital. But I know I'm in good hands and I know that he cares. Yeah, it just and makes I think it that little bit easier. It definitely does because I don't think a lot of specialists realise when we come to them we're vulnerable and we're broken. And we're just seeking almost a verbal hug in a way to say, you're not alone. I hear you. I hear your pain. And it's okay. And when that doesn't happen, it makes it really hard for women and men and everyone else because that's all we want is that validation and care. Exactly. Yeah. And I think to our lovely listeners, I absolutely love Crystal's idea of making up a little card about who you are, what you're taking, your little story, and that could just, you know, help with the care you do receive. I know you shouldn't have to do that, but, you know, to make your time easier and to ease some anxiety, I think that's an excellent, excellent idea. Like, you know, when nurses hand over, if a nurse has one opinion of you, she's just going to hand that opinion over to the next nurse. But if I, if you have this placard that explains everything you've gone through, what you normally take, I put down the dosage of how much I take, when I take it, what I, and like every diagnosis I have, and it's passed on so that even if she has formed an opinion on me, there's a history of me there for them to read, not just for them to make another assumption. Mm, definitely. It's really good. More from Crystal in a moment, but first a word from today's sponsor, How We Roll Co. 
Howie Rollco have just launched their 100% organic and sustainable tampons in collaboration with Australian artist Brooke Gossen. Brooke designed the packaging for the tampons titled Stronger Together, which is all about celebrating the strength of women, and it is so gorgeous in my opinion. Not only are they 100% organic, but the tampon's individual hygiene wrapper is also 100% compostable, making them the healthiest choice for your body and the earth too. You can pick between regular or super absorbencies depending on your needs, so there's something for everyone. The absolute best part about this collaboration is that the Howie Rollco team have partnered with the Women and Girls Emergency Centre to support women impacted by domestic violence. For every 10 boxes sold, they will donate one box to the WAGEC and they've already donated over 100 boxes so far. So to do some good for your body, the earth and others, head to hwrco.com to purchase now. That's hwrco.com to purchase. And a massive thank you to Howie Rollcoat for making this episode of Let's Talk Period possible. Now, one of these procedures you've had is the implantation of an SNS or a sacral nerve um, stimulator. It also assists with bowel and bladder control, which is something that endo has impacted upon can you talk us through this process the initial trial of that and how this surgical implant has assisted you and um you know given you some quality of life it's it's been a godsend for me it does nothing for my pain and i don't ever want people to assume it does something for my pain it is not put in there for my pain it is in there purely to target bowel incontinence. So where I had endo around the nerves, my surgeon who does, my colorectal surgeon, says he thinks the nerves have been damaged and that causes me to not be able to, my brain doesn't realise that I need to go to the toilet and I just shit myself. Um, the trial is pretty hard. You can't shower for two weeks. So it's like bird baths. I ended up calling my child quits at one week because one of the leads was actually sitting wrong in the nerve and it was causing the agony. And when he pulled it out, I thought I was going to die. Like the pain was shocking. And don't want this, like this <laughs> sounds scary, but it is a scary trial. It's scary. Like it's a foreign thing in your body. Um, but I still went ahead with the permanent trial because, I mean, the permanent stimulator, because in that week alone, my bowel incontinence was reduced by like 80%. And so I had the option of having two leads and I just went with one lead. And so it was inserted and it takes about, oh, it took about an hour, I think, to get it all inserted. And it's like a $17,500 device. Like I looked up for my health insurance. And I was like, how much did they pay for this? <laughs> and like you have a, a whole rep comes from whatever brands. So I have Medtronic. And I have a rep that comes, they come into theatre with you because they have to make sure that it's working properly. They have to, they can tell by the way your toes move if they've put it in the right spot. So I got the permanent one. So you do the trial. You have to then wait six weeks after the trial for the nerves to heal. And then they'll put the permanent one in. So I got the permanent one in. um, And it has been amazing. Like I've gone from shitting myself probably every second day to like 
maybe twice once a fortnight if that if like if that and I remember like this is probably the most embarrassing story but I'm such an open book when it comes to like the realness of endo I was 35 weeks pregnant I think and I was at home in bed because I'd get home for two nights. They'd let me go home two nights the other week because I was like, mentally, I need to get out of here. Mm. Um, and then they'd be back in again after the two days. And I was in bed and I woke up in agony. And I was like, I looked down to my pillow and it was dark and I saw dark all over. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm bleeding. Like, I'm bleeding. And I picked up my pillow to look at it and it dropped on my face. Turned out I'd shit myself. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I just <laughs> dropped this pillow of shit all over my face. <laughs> and my husband's just like on the floor laughing and he's like just get in the shower I'll clean it all up but it, it was at that point like, 100% like I, I'll, I have to laugh about it all the time otherwise I will actually cry yeah. but it was at that point I was like mm, I think I need to consider one and then the real turning point for me was I came home from hospital pregnant again um and I'm sound asleep and I wake up to my husband like going babe babe and he looks mortified I'm like what's the matter he's like you've completely shit the bed I'm like no I haven't and I like lift up this blanket and it's just everywhere and I'm like this needs to be fixed after pregnancy um and so yeah that's why I've got it and happy to say that's not happened since (laughs) no more free in bed (laughs) yes (laughs) but it's been a game changer but I don't ever want people to think the one that targets bladder and bowel helps with pain because for me it hasn't and even my special colorectal surgeon said like it's not going to help with the pain like that's not where it's targeted to I'm actually in talks with my pain specialist about doing another one for on the other side for my pain um but because nerve damage it's really tricky how he'd get the leads down there. So it's in the talks at the moment, but not happening yet. Mm. I think it's really important to make that distinction that it's not for pain and it is to assist with that bowel control because um, some of them can assist with that, but it is a really case-by-case basis. So if it is something that you're interested in looking into further, chatting with your pain specialist or looking for a pain specialist about if that's an option for you and chatting with your gynae as well. Um, they might have some recommendations around that. 100%. Mm. Now you mentioned pregnancy last year and last year you had a beautiful bubba. Yes. What is it like being a mum whilst also being chronically ill? I know you mentioned being in hospital quite frequently is really challenging, but um, can you just share a little bit about what it's like to be a mum when you are living with endo? Oh, man, it is unbelievably hard. Harder than you ever think it's going to be. And that was a huge shock to me. Um, I remember in hospital I had my, had him and I got the day three baby blues where you, just, you literally cried constantly. Like the nurses are walking in and I've got tears pouring out of my eyes. I'm like, what day are you? I'm like, three days post-baby. They're like, oh, yep. you're fine. <laughs> like, we expected this. Um, and it was in hospital. I was like to my husband, I said, I can't do this by myself. With like, you go back to work in a couple of weeks. How am I going to do this? And my mum came in. I said, I need you to move in. 
I said, I I literally cannot do this. I'm like, just for two weeks though, mum, because like then I'll be able to do it myself. I'll be healed a bit and I got this. It's been a year and she's still here um, <laughs> full-time. She's my full-time helper. And I don't ever want to put out an image on it, social media that I got this because I, I really don't. I don't got this at all. My mum got up and took him to daycare this morning because I'm not allowed to lift him. She'll pick him up later. She'll put him to bed because I'm not allowed to pick him up. And he loves her so much more than me at the moment. And, like, that breaks my heart because I can't pick him up. I can't interact with him in a way that he wants to jump on my stomach and be really rough and kick me in that area because he loves to do that. And he can't do that with me. Um, it's sleep, sleep deprivation and pain and periods I didn't breastfeed so my periods came back straight away and it was awful I remember day three being home after being in hospital I hemorrhaged all over the kitchen floor and had to like rush back to hospital no one told tells you about that like I'm like oh shit what like well, what do I do I've got a baby here and you have this mum guilt and it's you don't understand it until you've got this little thing and it's like you realise you can't make the cake yourself. You need people to help you make it. You're like, no, I'm going to do it myself because if I don't do it myself, then I can't be called the mum. Like, I'm going to do it. And for six weeks when my mum was here and for, until he was six weeks, I had such control issues over relinquishing the fact I couldn't do it. I was burning myself out to the point I was not okay. I was definitely not okay and I wouldn't let anyone do the feeds. I wouldn't let anyone do the bath or the changes, nothing, because I was like, I've got to do this. Otherwise, I'm not a mum and I'm failing and I'm doing something wrong. And it took six weeks for me to go, okay, I need to relinquish a bit of control and we'll let others help because my mum's like, why am I here? And I'm like, I don't know because I need your help <laughs> but I gotta do it all but I need your help <laughs> yeah but you need to let you need to let me help <laughs> yeah and it is so hard like you're sometimes I'm out there with my period remember here it comes I'm a write-off and I'll be out there in tears with my hitting pads and he's just trying to climb on me he has no comprehension sometimes he just like whacks me and laughs and I'm like it's not even funny me and they just he has no comprehension that I'm trying so hard and it's not even that like Instagram makes you feel like you have to be this top-notch mum you can't fail like you can't have help you got to do it yourself your child can never do this or that and having to let go of that stigma around not being able to do it all yourself is really hard for a lot of mums mm. and I see a lot of other endo mums and how much they suffer and how much they struggle. And you think going into it, you hold this baby. And I remember holding him for the first time going, I'm having another one of these. But now I know how hard it is. I could not actually, I don't actually think I could do two children mm. with this disease. Um, and how crazy that a disease can dictate that, can wear you down to a point where you go, I don't actually think I could do another child even with the help of my mum and my husband and everything, because it's hard. Like, it is really hard. Mm. I 
love my child more than anything. He is my world. But it comes a point where you've got to go, shit, I've got to put myself first. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to be a mum to him. Exactly. Ever. Like, yeah. so my advice to anyone who's going to be a mum with this disease is don't go into it thinking that it's going to make your endo better. So many doctors say, oh, it's going to make your endo so much better. It did not do that for me. And I know it hasn't done that for a lot of women mm-hmm. who have got their little babies. It, it didn't help at all. I think it's still a huge misconception around endo that having a baby will make it better, which would yeah. be amazing if it did. But, you know, unfortunately that's not the case and you've still got to be living with that chronic illness and managing the needs of a small little person and trying to manage the needs of you as well. So, yeah, really going into that open, open-eyed, eyes wide open and knowing that this will most likely not make my endo better and being aware of that fact yeah definitely it's one of the biggest misconceptions I thought I was like yeah this is gonna be great I'm not gonna have any pain my periods are 10 times worse now and I said to my doctor like why she's like oh did no one tell you that periods get worse after they they came in a baby I was like no they forgot to mention that in the pamphlet like no no one told me that so I just thought oh yeah things will get better and they they haven't Mm. and yeah biggest thing is accept help and ask for help because I definitely don't have it together at all my child's one and I've got none of it together none of it worked out so if anyone else has a child and they don't think they've got it together you're not alone because I most certainly do not I'd love to switch gears now and just talk about what endo has given you in a positive sense. Like I know it takes and takes and takes so much, but what's something that it has given you or brought into your life? It's been something that's shown me who real friends are. And I think a lot of us understand that when you have a chronic illness and pain and you've got to constantly cancel plans and you can't make it because you've got to put yourself first, you very quickly find out who your true friends are. And I can count on one hand the true people in my life that have genuinely stuck by me and I'm beyond grateful for them. Like they are a support network. They care. It's amazing. Like you have, you can have so many quantity of friends, but when stuff gets hard, you find out who the quality are. And that's been one thing that I've really found from this. And it's strengthened my marriage beyond anything I ever thought it could. Um, It's been so hard on my husband, but I now have somebody who wants to protect me at all costs in a sense if we go into an emergency room he'll talk before I do if he thinks there's going to be any issue with the doctor understanding what's going on because he knows how hard it is for me to advocate for myself so he's become an advocate for me as well so it's it's given me quality friends and an amazing connection with my husband in the sense he just knows when to have my back beautiful yeah shout out to your husband he sounds like an absolute gem 
<laughs> it goes all right. <laughs> Crystal, I would love to know, what would you like to see change within the pelvic health space in general? Oh, I One thing I really would love to see, and it's something I have to advocate for myself. So I know a lot of procedures that women have to get pap smears, um, whether they're getting, oh, I've had to have like four catheters in the last two weeks. Anything to do with like looking down there, something that I really believe and I'm working with a psychologist is if every time where something touches down there is associated with a negative or painful thing, anytime, and that's something that affects me so that when I, my husband and I go to have sex or something, my body interprets what's going to happen as pain and I seize up and I'm like, nah, not happening. And something that I've been really working with my psychologist is I ask for some form of sedation to calm my body so that it's not going to now interpret what's happening as painful. And that's something I really am passionate about because it really affects your sex life when we're constantly thinking that anything touching down there is automatically going to be painful and associated with pain whether it be inserting tampons that hurt. Like if you're inserting a tampon and that's hurting, don't do it to yourself because your body starts to interpret that. And when you go to do other things, it's the same motion. You, you just, I just, personally, I just seize up. If I put a tampon in, I literally cry because I don't want to pull it out because I know how painful it's going to be. So let's, Definitely one thing I want to see change is an understanding that every procedure that you do on a person while they're awake can affect them in a bedroom, can affect them long term. And that's when I put my foot down and I had to do it the other day at week in hospital. They're like, we're putting another catheter in. I'm like, you're not doing it while I'm fully awake. So I got the green whistle in Valium and I said, you're fine, you can do it now. And then when I had to get another one put in a couple of days later, I said, you have to give me IV midazolam because I don't want to keep associating pain down there mm. with touch. And it's something that I would love. And it's a very particular thing, I think, that I'm passionate about. But it's something that took me so long to realise and realise that what happens to us during pap smears, during insertions, just in exams down there, insertions of marinas all of that it actually can affect us and your body remembers so for me it's that because I'm now having to undo years of trauma down there to try and have sex without like I remember having sex and it hurts a lot and for the first time my husband saw my face and he's like why are you okay like why are you pulling that face He's like, you're in pain, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And he's like, why don't you tell me? And I'm like, because I don't want to let you down and I don't want this to be painful. Mm. And it was at that point I was like, this is ridiculous. And it was that point I had a discussion with my gyno and every doctor that tries to anything down there, I'm like, it's not happening without medication because I'm trying to disassociate touch down there with pain. And that has been something that it's going to take a long time for me to get through that. But now implementing that, it's not adding more trauma, which has been amazing. 
I think vaginismus is again something that's super misunderstood and needs so much more awareness and the fact that so many procedures can cause trauma and you do start to associate that and you do seize up and again it's often not physical but it's that mental barrier as well so taking steps to work through that and you know make it easier on yourself is something you should be you know 100% congratulated on yeah definitely thank you I really hope a lot of people can work through it and something that blew my mind and made me go wow is when we're under anesthetic they actually can tell if we can feel pain so I had a cystoscopy done last week and the um, urologist came to me and he said when we were dilating your bladder you weren't in pain and I was like what do you mean I wasn't in pain I was asleep and it turns out they monitor your heart rate and if your body starts feeling the pain your heart rate will go up so even during surgery our bodies can feel the pain we're not aware of it but they're constantly monitoring whether we're feeling pain or not. And that's, I'm assuming, why they run so much medication, why you're under anesthetic, because your body knows that something is happening to it, even though you're completely knocked out. Which, super, super clever bodies. <laughs> I know. I was so mind blown by that. Like, just mind blown. Oh. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today, Crystal? Um, probably just don't give up I know there's a lot of people I've been very lucky to have gone through it was a very hard year to find a good team but I've been very lucky to find a team and I know that so many people just want to give up and don't they don't want to advocate for themselves they don't want to sit in that next waiting room go into a doctor that's just going to be like oh yeah your period hurts that's normal like they, they don't want to do that. They don't have the strength to do that. My biggest advice would be get a support network that can go with you and don't give up on getting a diagnosis. I guarantee you somebody is going to listen. So my advice would be don't give up to the people who literally just feel like, and I know what it feels like. I, I know what it feels like when you're like, I'm just crazy. There's nothing wrong. No, and before you go into surgery, you might be like, what if they find no endo? And there's, you know what, if there is an endo, there's still something else going on. Like your pain is real and you are seen, you are heard, but you've just got to keep persevering until you find that right doctor. And unfortunately, there's not enough of them. So we do have to go through the needle and haystack situation to find them. But once you do, you're, you're set, like you've got your team. And I think that's my biggest advice to everyone. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable today and sharing so much. I know that our listeners will really resonate with this episode and I think they will just take so much from it. So thank you so, so much for coming on Let's Talk Period today, Crystal. I have loved chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for everything that you guys do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Period with Crystal, founder of Her with Endo and endometriosis, adenomyosis and mental health advocate. If you loved hearing from Crystal and want even more from her, you can find her over on Instagram at herwithendo. If you want to keep updated with all things Let's Talk Period, you can follow us at Let's Talk Period AU. 
Let's Talk Period is an independent podcast, so if you did enjoy this episode and you do want to show a tiny little bit of support for the show, I would absolutely love it if you could subscribe if you haven't already, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or if you are listening on Spotify, you could follow the show. That way you get notified when there's new episodes out and it also helps new people find the show as well. I would also absolutely adore you if you could share this episode with a friend or a family member or anybody who you think might enjoy the show. This helps us to find new listeners and grow the beautiful Let's Talk Period community. If you ever felt so inclined, you could also show how you're listening on Instagram. I absolutely love seeing where you guys all listen to the show and it just absolutely makes my day to see you all listening. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes and the information, recommendations and topics talked about does not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history.